Our scripture lesson this morning is from Acts 10, verses 44 through 48. It is the shift in the life of the church when the gospel has been going out among the Jewish Christians of the day and now begins its spread into the Gentile community. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Let's pray. Bless, O oh Lord, the words of my mouth. In the meditation of all of our hearts, O oh Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Sean Anker is the CEO of GoodThink, Inc., which is a corporation that helps to get organizations out of old thinking ruts and patterns. He realized that a positive lens for looking at the world had an incredible difference on how we receive and react to it. And he learned this at an early age. He tells the story in his book about having been seven years old and he and his sister Amy, who was five, were being told to play quietly while their parents tried to catch an afternoon nap. Now, this injunction to play quietly and safely came because Sean had been playing with his sister earlier in the week and as he tells the story, had saved her from a sniper's bullet. Yes, he had pushed her, but it was for her own welfare, and they had yet to thank him for that saving response. So they were, they, they were supposed to play quietly, safely. Well, they decided to play on his top bunk. And they were playing war, and on his side of the bunk, he had all of his G.I. Joes lined up, and on her side of the bunk, she had her My Little Ponies ready for the Calvary Charge. <laughs> he did not know how because he neither pushed nor shoved her or in any way, but Amy went off the bunk and landed on all fours hands and knees. Now you know how when a child is really hurt, they sometimes open their mouths and nothing comes out. 
He caught her in that moment and said, Amy, look, look what you did. You landed it on all fours and no human can do that. You are a magic unicorn. There was nothing more than Amy wanted to be than a magic baby unicorn. So she smiled and climbed back up into the dump bunk, broken leg and all. Anchor encourages us to think about that little shift in lens because the news would tell us that most of the world is going you know where in a handbasket. It's full of negative information about murders and drugs and gangs and terrorists and tragedies and natural disasters, and quickly our brains start to think that the ratio of negative to positive is just way over the top. And as a result, we find that the reality that we perceive is what's shaping us rather than the reality that actually is. If we can change that lens, Anchor believes that we can shape our reality differently and that our happiness will grow and that we have the power to shift the outcomes. The lens in our scripture, I want you to know, has shifted. With chapter 10, this whole new phase of the spread of the gospel has started. We start in this text with Cornelius, a Roman centurion translated big Gentile. But he's a devout worshiper of God and he prays and he cares for the poor. It's three o'clock in the afternoon and Cornelius receives this vision. He's to dispatch three men to Joppa where he's to, they are to collect Simon Peter who's staying with Simon the Tanner and bring him there for an encounter. It's about noon the next day when those men are coming to get Peter that he himself receives a vision. It's lunchtime. And out of the heavens come a four-cornered sheet. And in it are all the living animals on four legs and reptiles and birds, many of them not considered kosher. And the instruction from the spirit is kill and eat. Peter is mortified by this invitation because he lives within the boundaries and expectations of his faith. You don't do this. And yet three times comes the response, what I've said is clean is now clean then the sheet disappears. 
When Cornelius' men then show up at the door, Peter then goes back with him to Joppa, and there they begin to engage in conversation about Jesus. And in the middle of him sharing the gospel story to these folks who know so little, if anything, about the presence and power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls on them just like it was Pentecost morning and they all start extolling God and speaking in tongues. Now, if that doesn't sound odd to you, I want you to think for just a minute. These folks have not been baptized with water. They have not spent any time learning about how the Jewish Christians had been expecting the Gentiles to accept kosher practices to learn the laws of the Torah. There was a time then after this preparation that they then would be baptized with water and belong. And the Spirit shows up to interrupt all of that process and say, hey, they belong right now. Peter is absolutely amazed at what happens and he said, who can refuse these people the baptism of water when they've already received the Spirit? Now the circumcised believers or the conservative Jewish Christians at the time would have objected to this on all kinds of grounds. They're flabbergasted. And yet this new experience invites them to look with a new lens. It would be just as difficult to comprehend making them a part of the community as it would for us today looking at the caravan that's been in the news in the past couple of weeks. All of those folks coming to the border seeking asylum and refugee status. It would be like the top judge in the land going to the border crossing, throwing all the gates open and shaking hands and welcoming people home and not a single passport, no medical tests, no oath of being a United States citizen, nothing. Just saying, come on in folks, you belong. The Spirit falls on these people and says that they belong regardless of anyone's expectations and they've been given the tools to spread the gospel without our permission. It's hard to picture how over the top this would have been but we get it. We're the sixth week into belong, begin, believe, and the realization that our process is often backwards from the process that God asks and invites. Because it is not our criteria that makes the faithful, but the Spirit who gives it. The Holy Spirit was working a powerful transformation among the early Christians. And it is Peter's own utterance 
that God shows no partiality that is the radical departure from his old definition of what's considered clean and unclean. New people are being added to the faith as different as they appear. The perspective of who was in and who was out was being changed and challenged, not by their own doing, but by the intervention, the interruption, as it were, of the spirit. The boundaries of the inner circle kept widening to the point that the assumed boundaries were no longer legitimate. The spirit has taken over. There's a wonderful book a friend offered uh, to me that's called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, The Scandalous Truth of the Very Good News. Don't you love that title? It's a great book. When Jesus quotes Isaiah, he says, watch what he does. You'll recognize this, this scripture. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the text Jesus read in the temple which got him into trouble. If you were an Isaiah scholar, you wouldn't miss what Jesus had just done. He had just edited the Old Testament. He left out that last phrase in that text, which says, the year of the vengeance of our God. Jesus is declaring that that day's over that the jubilee and liberation, the amnesty and pardon are arriving. And it has arrived in who he is as the son of God. He's omitted the day of the vengeance simply because he has announced the Lord's favor even for Israel's enemies. Brian Zond, the author of this book, says, until we are captivated by the radical mercy of God extended to all, we will cling to the text of vengeance and exclusion as cherished texts. As long as Jesus announced that it was time for God's favor, the crowd was just fine. But as soon as he made it clear that God's favor is for everyone, as soon as the jubilee was made inclusive and not exclusive, that's when they tried to throw him off a cliff. Jesus' call for love of the enemies in his Sermon on the Mount meant something had changed, and it wasn't God that had changed. It's the degree to which we as human beings understand the nature of God and the perfect revelation of who God is in Jesus. 
Jesus interrupted this little exchange to tell those who thought they had a corner on understanding God that these Gentiles, these outsiders, had just been pulled into the family without our permission. Jesus interrupts not only them, but us. My friends, it is the Spirit who makes any of us belong. Sometimes the Spirit has a hard time getting through our stubborn desires to keep things comfortable and in a way that we've experienced them and understood them. But Jesus interrupts so that the Spirit can offer new learning. Isn't it interesting that Peter, the one who has walked with Jesus, seen it all, been there, done it all, now to spread the gospel, has a new thing to learn himself? Not only he must learn, but Cornelius must learn that the gospel is being revealed new in who Jesus is and in what he does. That's the lens. I love Fred Craddock, and in it he tells a story about greyhounds. Really, it's kind of a parable. He had a niece in Arizona that rescued retired greyhounds because, you know, when they quit racing, they're either adopted out or they're put down. And she hated that, so she had a house full of these big old ugly dogs. Craddock goes on to say that he was in a home where they had adopted a greyhound that had been a racer. Big old spotted thing laying on the floor looking as happy as any dog could. One of the toddlers is playing with the dog's tail and it's thump thump as he tries to catch it. And another is laying on his belly using him like a pillow. And Craddock says, are you still racing? And the dog says, no, I don't race anymore. He says, well, do you miss the glitter and the excitement of the racetrack? And he said, no, no, not really. Well, what happened? Did you just get old and tire out? Dog says, no. No, I had some race left in me. Well, didn't you win? Well, sure. I won over a million dollars for my uh, owner. Well, then what was it? Did they treat you badly? Oh, gosh, no. When you're racing, they treat you like royalty. Then what? Did you get hurt? Oh, no, 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 not at all. I was in good shape. He said, then what happened? Dog says, I quit. I discovered that what I was chasing was not a real rabbit. And I quit. He looked at me and said, all that running and running, running and running, and what I was chasing wasn't real. Friends, while the race looks real, We need a lens to tell us that what we're chasing may be as empty as that stuffed rabbit. But there is real 
out there and it has everything to do with the presence of the Spirit. Norman Cousins said it kind of a different way. He said, death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside of us while we live. I beg you to hear that Jesus is interrupting. And the lens matters for the spirit is building a movement, is building the family of God. And if we can interrupt our expectations with the spirit lens, not only can we change our experience and our joy, but I believe with all my heart that we could change the outcomes in which we live and in which our world participates. There's a lens going on at the border. Did you know that? In our devotional uh, that Nikki and I use, is called the Book of Common Prayer for Ordinary Radicals. Great title. The introduction to the May month says that there are a lot of folks down in Mexico worried about the folks in Tijuana around the border and the safety and the months that some of them have been waiting and struggling to get sanctuary. So what's happened is that a number of Christians on the Mexican side have gathered for worship and a number of folks on the Christian side have gathered for worship and they found each other on a portion of the wall. Now you can hear through that wall and so they worship together. And when they have communion on communion Sunday, I don't know how they get that done, but they throw it over the wall. That's a lens. Our blessings may be dressed as difficulties. We've got a lens that the world needs to view its interruptions, especially if we want better outcomes. Let's ask our Lord to interrupt us and intervene. Amen.